company growth is off chart. We have grown uh, more than 20x last year. Uh, uh, went from zero to double digit ARR in less than 12 months. I'm Pepe Laya. I don't do fluff. I don't do filler. I don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B SaaS because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, how do they win. This week, Tony Jamus, founder and CEO of Oyster HR, a platform for hiring and managing a distributed team of remote workers. Founded just two years ago, Oyster has experienced hypergrowth, raising both Series A and Series B funding in 2021 for a combined total of over $70 million. Oyster now employs over 300 team members in 50 countries, and they continue to expand. In this episode, we discuss how Oyster prepared to scale quickly when met with high demand and why allowing a strong mission-oriented narrative to permeate all parts of the company has been key to their success. Let's get into it. The opportunity I saw was that hiring somebody in another country was extremely challenging. It was like climbing Mount Everest. It was risky, was opaque. Uh, you had to set up entities, hire lawyer, accountant, payroll providers, in all these countries, and, and after you do so, you fail to deliver on a great employee experience. So the opportunity we saw is applying software to make hiring somebody on the other side of the world as easy as hiring locally, and by doing so, drop the barrier to entry dramatically for global hiring and create a new category of, of uh, global employment that actually we're coining global employment platforms. When you set out to solve this problem, offer payroll services around the globe, did you start with select countries or did you start with like the whole world in mind from the get-go? Our customers come to us because they are tapping into the global talent pool. They are here to hire the best talent no matter where, where they are. So it didn't make sense for us to start by focusing on a narrow number of countries because the buyer purchasing, one of the buyer purchasing criteria was I want a platform that covers the whole world and not worry about uh, not being able to hire that person. Uh, that's why when we started the business, we built what we call a hybrid infrastructure, where we had to work with local partners in countries where we didn't have our own infrastructure and gradually evolve and build our own infrastructure over time. And we also had to work with, with, with partners because when I started the company in January 2020, very quickly the world went into lockdown and, and you couldn't even talk to governments in many countries. They were, they were just, you know, guys, well, you have to wait until we figure out when we're going to reopen. And, and so we had to really fall back on this uh, partner network that we've created around the world. And eventually, over time, we moved to our own infrastructure. Yeah, so you started the company in January. A few months later, you, you raised your seed round of or of about $4 million. Was your product already out in the market at that time? No, we, we raised our seed round uh, four weeks after we started the company in February, actually. We announced it a bit later. And all we, all we had was, was an investment memo, an 11-long-page document that I spent the last few months of 2019 writing after talking to industry experts, after talking to customers, after talking to competitors. And, and that, that's all we had. But then when, when, when the world went into lockdown, we realized we had to move really, really fast. Uh, we started by building this employment infrastructure in 180 countries, uh, start coding. So we started building the minimum viable experience 
that makes global hiring as easy as global hiring. And, and we build a, a fully distributed team. Uh, at the end of uh, 2020, we were 20 people. Uh, last year, we ended up uh, at 350 people. So we moved really, really fast in, in building the organization. And, and in just in few months, in few months after we were in business, we achieved product market fit because the demand for what we're trying to achieve, global hiring, was, was, was actually so high that we very quickly were able to, to find a, a product market fit. Fast eat the slow. Speed is a competitive advantage. I wasted many huge opportunities by being too slow and hesitant. I wasted some money once by being too hasty. My biggest wins have come from taking swift, decisive, even radical action. A fast organization has more people deciding and taking action and fewer people briefing each other, reporting, seeking approvals, and sitting in a myriad of unproductive meetings. Ways to make your organization faster. One, reduce the need for meetings. This is not the same as no meetings. Set clear rules and guidelines for how decision-making should happen. Two, one way to cut meetings is not to have meetings for updates and information sharing. That can happen asynchronously. Three, fewer decision-makers in each meeting. When David Sachs was at PayPal, he enforced an anti-meeting culture where any meeting that included more than three, four people was deemed suspect and subject to immediate adjournment. Four, make information accessible. Anyone should have access to any information and stats in real time. Any question that needs to be answered to make a decision, anyone should be able to just look it up. Five, stop making your top people bottlenecks. Top leaders should focus on fewer, more mission-critical decisions. All other decisions should be delegated. Six, drive closed-loop accountability. Everyone on a team must be clear about what needs to be done, by whom, when, why. Disciplined follow-up is needed to review actions and results. Speed of execution can continue to give you an edge over competitors long into your company's lifetime. Here's Johnny Pufarat, founder and CEO of Hopin, with some insights he has gained from their three years of lightning-fast growth. I think anyone who says that funding is, uh, just makes you a success, I would say it adds a lot of pressure and it makes, makes you have to move faster, which adds to your success. I think speed is the number one important thing as a company. And speed of execution and quality of execution is the most important thing. And so money allows you to do that with fundraising. So our product features, instead of implementing them in three months, our goals were to implement them in one month because we had enough to hire good people and start spreading out. But then it brings organizational structures that need to change because, you know, you can't throw 500 people to fix one light bulb. It won't change the speed of the light bulb. It's about setting up those organizations. We need people to be proactive. When you're moving this fast, there's a lot of holes in the process and you need someone who's proactive. Usually in the early days, companies in the product market fit finding, the, the marketing and sales aspect is the hardest part. So for you guys, it was like suddenly everybody wanted what you had to offer. Is that how it was more or less? It was exactly that. And then, and then that opened up a whole new problem that a typical company don't go through, which is operational scalability. How can you every week, every month, double your ability to employ people in, in, in more and more new countries? I mean, the level of complexities, I mean, if you thought global payment was complex, think about global employment. Global employment is, it has payment in it because you have to pay people, but it has also payroll, you have to pay them accurately. 
but it has a global compliance. You have to find the right level of contracts, employment contracts that is fair, that is safe for these employees. And there's also benefits. And every country is different. You know, in France, you better give them a, a restaurant ticket, or in, in the UK, you better give them a dental uh, insurance and so on and so forth. So the complexity that we're solving with software is, is very, very high. And, and that's one, one of the reasons why this category, global employment platform, is so valuable. Tell me more about that uh, internally, those recruitment processes that you had to quickly set up. So hiring, finding talent, the whole vetting process is a pain for you know a lot of companies. So how did you guys solve it? What did you do to hire so many people so fast? Yeah, so Oyster is a hiring machine. Uh, I'm probably one of the only CEOs in technology that I'm telling my, my team to hire more slowly. We are getting, we are receiving over 10,000 applications a month. For a company that is two years old, uh, that, that's unprecedented. So we've built this amazing employee brand that is uh, directly connected to our identity as mission-driven, human-centric, diverse, and globally distributed organization. But, but we've also made it known in the market. We, through social media, we uh, very often share how does it like to, to work here? And we publicly open uh, our approach to work. If you go to our website, you see uh, how we work together, document how we adopt this asynchronous way of collaboration and communication. How do we care about people's well-being? How do we create an environment that people feel comfortable and safe to do an amazing work? That's what people want. That's the new way of working. We are building more than a company. We're building a movement around advancing what work should be. And that's why we have such an amazing employer brand. The bigger an organization gets, the more important culture becomes. Culture is easy when it's just a founder plus inner circle. Once you get bigger, it gets so much harder, yet culture is the effectiveness multiplier for all strategy and execution. Perks are not culture. Perks are nice, but no replacement for what kind of behavior and output is being tolerated. Set standards for kindness and human interaction in general, and level of work that is accepted. Minimum acceptable standard for work is the most important part of workplace culture. Culture can also affect the way your business is represented. If your employees are proud of their company and feel purposeful in their work, they'll say so loudly. That becomes part of your brand's reputation. As Alfred Lin, partner at Sequoia Capital and former CEO of Zappos, explains. Culture and brand, they are two sides of the same coin. So culture are like the principles and the beliefs that you have inside the company that you want people to be aligned with long term. And whatever happens inside the company eventually comes out, you can't hold it in. And brand is really the promise outside the company that everyone identifies with. And so I think having a clear mission and making sure that you know that mission and making sure that mission comes through the company is probably the most important thing you can do for both culture and values. And then the second thing you need to know is that your brand, the way people think about you as a company is often decided by your, you know, I mean, your brand evangelists are your employees. So you have a weak culture. We often think that like companies that hire employees or people that are deeply passionate create companies that customers are really, really passionate about. And those are the companies that have strong brands. 
When I look at your your marketing narrative, the stories that you guys put out, you know, using your social media and other channels, which is of, of course all about the world going remote, the top one percent talent is not in the city where you happen to, you know, be. But that narrative is not too different from the story your competitors are telling. Is the market growing so much faster than the business that you can still push the category as opposed to pushing your business? Or how do you reconcile those two things? Our mission to make the world a more equal place is not, it's not our mission. It's the world mission. So, so we're very happy when uh, other competitors in our space adopt a similar narrative to Oyster. Uh, we believe this is a mission win uh, from a B2B marketing standpoint and, and B2B sales standpoint. Obviously, there is a, a more specific uh, reason why the customer would pick a vendor A versus a vendor B. But overall, from a category narrative standpoint, uh, everybody uh, is, is welcome to share our mission. So if I, I'm a B2B SaaS CEO and I'm looking for a solution like Oyster, and so I'm looking at Oyster, I'm looking at Deal and maybe Remote.com and you know other players, how are you trying to win the business over? Um, are you actively positioning yourself differently from the other players in the market? If you think about it, what our customer wants and, and we provide them that is very unique to Oyster is, uh, is, is a combination of two things. One is the scale uh, for the HR team sitting in headquarters and hiring in five, ten different countries. Uh, and that obviously we, we use software to do so. Uh, you can achieve that with a few clicks uh, on our website. Actually, last year we were able to break the record of less than six hours from the moment the HR person submitted the hire uh, to the moment the employee is, is ready to work. And we expect this to go down to one hour this year. The, the second dimension of value is the, the personalization of the employment experience to the local uh, employee in that market. Uh, we are obsessed by being the best legal employer and, and we are obsessed by enabling our customers to be the best functional employer and essentially increasing their retention and, and their acquisition rates of, of employees. Uh, and, and that's how we, how we think about it. We think about it as this is not uh, a, a compliance and a payroll-only solution. This is an, an employee retention platform. Typically, what happens in emerging categories is that typically who gets the biggest first remains the category uh, king for a long time, maybe decades. Is that race to become as big as possible, as fast as possible, something you, you guys actively think about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean we, we want to be uh, a market share leader. Uh, now, what does it mean? How do we measure our progress toward that? We measure our progress toward that if through our win rates. Are we winning more than our share of the market on competitive deals? Uh, and we also measure that on our awareness. Is our awareness been uh, increasing in line with uh, the expectation? And so these are the kind of two variables. Essentially, one variable is conversion. So one is volume and one is uh, essentially conversion rate. So how do you maximize your uh, both of these variables? And so what, what are the strategic plays? Like what are you betting on to win that competition here? The biggest bet we're making is actually is to win uh, the customer hearts and mind. So in a, in a category that is uh, so nascent, uh, it, is, it is less about feature by feature differentiation 
because with enough money and enough capital, anybody can build any feature, right? But it's really about telling a story that connects deeply with the heart and mind of our buyer persona. Uh, and it's, it's definitely backed by uh, the best features and the most relevant features of the platform. But it's first and foremost is, is understanding why we're here and how do we help these customers. And we're a mission-driven company before being a software company, right? We're the only B Corp, benefit corporation in the pack. Uh, goes a long way in enabling us to infuse our mission into how we run our business and how we create value for our customer and their employees. Having a clear mission for your business can be a powerful rallying call to your audiences. It can allow subsequent decisions and actions to be judged against the overall strategic intention. It can communicate to your team why you really exist and what business you're in. Purpose in workplace matters for talent attraction, productivity, and retention. Your mission can also inform your strategic narrative, your strategic choices. I think of the mission as the infinite game. Sure, sometimes mission statements can feel lame, but lame mission statements come from actually being a lame company, or low ambition, or not thinking about it seriously. Take some time to write a paragraph about your mission. Don't worry about eloquence, focus on substance. Your mission is worth thinking about both internally and publicly. One company whose mission permeates every decision they make is outdoor clothing retailer Patagonia. Mission is so important to their identity as a company that they even have a dedicated director of philosophy, Vincent Stanley. Here he is explaining his first-hand experience of the impact of Patagonia's mission statements. At the end of 2018, we simplified our mission statement to say we're in business to save our home planet. Okay. And this drove me up the wall when we changed that. I thought, oh my gosh. It took 27 years for the company in the first mission statement, build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, use business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. I was against that when we adopted it 27 years ago because I thought, oh, mission statements are such bullshit. Most mission statements use words like strive or foster. And so they, they give you an out. You say, oh, we're going to try to do this. And if we don't, well, we'll keep trying. But the original mission statement became something that we really inhabited. It became less aspirational. So when Evo started to talk about we're in business to save the home planet, I said, no, we're not. But what happened is everybody has taken this very seriously. And they start to look at their activities, what they do, this is within the company, they look at their jobs and say, how does this fit into the mission? So we've had this experience repeatedly where aspirational language becomes directional for folks. What are you guys doing in terms of marketing and, and brand building specifically to, to you know, win the market? Yeah, for, first we have to be credible to, to talk to HR innovators to talk to future of work innovators. So, uh, and secondly, we have to amplify our credibility, right? So, so, but first we have to be credible, which means that we, we need ourselves to be the gold standard of distributed work. And we are becoming, uh, just to give you some data, we got, uh, we're getting 10,000 application a month in terms of our employee brand. Our, uh, we have 60% women in the company. I have gender equality on my leadership team. We have 95% engagement rate in the company. So all these data that our buyer persona cares deeply about 
we are off chart. Our goal here is to prove to them that being distributed is not only better for business, but it's also better for people and better for the planet. And we take that, not only we take that narrative to the market, obviously we don't take it in a, in a kind of a direct way. It's, it's more subtle. We essentially provide a lot of tools and content and, uh, and events that, that enable us to help uh, to create a better future of work that we believe is distributed future of work. So are you guys throwing a bunch of events or what are the specific outlets of this? Yeah, so uh, so definitely we have uh, we had a number of events last year, and we're gonna do more uh, this year around the future of work and, in, and around the uh, recruitment and emerging economies. These are the two events we've done last year. Uh, we're going to have a big presence at the HR Transform event, where, where HR innovators go, uh, and also through uh, tons of thought leadership uh, that is targeted towards helping. Uh, uh, these HR uh, executives become better at being distributed. Actually, we have our Oyster Academy program teaching HR professionals to deploy uh, their remote work policies and in, in their in training in-house. In uh, but also we train the people. Let's give train employees on becoming better remote workers. Uh, that's an open source, free uh, content and, and, and training resource that we provide for our customers. You guys raised uh, around 50 million in Series B only four months after raising your Series A. And meanwhile, your, your company value grew six times. What happened in that short time period to drive such fast growth? The company growth is off chart. I mean, we, we have grown uh, more than 20x last year, uh, uh, went from zero to double digit ARR in less than 12 months. Uh, uh, I mean, I know, I know one company did that, which is Google. They went from 1 million to a double-digit ARR in their second year of operation. Uh, so we're definitely off chart uh, for many, many VCs. And obviously, uh, you can understand why the demand in this market is, is, is uh, the world needs this, right? So, so the, we're, we're fortunate to be in a position where, where the, the demand has been expanded massively in the last two years. I mean, this category in general has been has been very attractive for investors because if you're a VC, every one of your portfolio company is today struggling with hiring and or struggling with remote work practices. One of the reasons why this category is is uh, is exciting for investors is that you're going to have a number of very large companies uh, that's going to coexist in that in that market because of the the vast uh, market size and the, the various way you can slice and dice that market. Go where the money is. There are SaaS companies with mediocre marketing, completely undifferentiated Me Too products, yet have managed to get to a significant size making a ton of money. Without fail, they're all in large markets with huge demand, like marketing automation. Why fight an uphill battle when we know pre-existing demand is the biggest growth driver? If your product or service does not cater to existing demand, you just need to work so much harder. Your timing obviously was Im impeccable and, and um, still there were others who did not succeed uh, as well when you did. So 
looking back, what are the things that you think uh, you did really well uh, as a company where you out-executed other players? Number one is the best team. We built a Series F team for a Series B company. Everybody on my exec team has been hiring through a thoughtful executive search process that took me more than six months to, to a year. We needed people that are mission aligned, that have experienced hyper growth, that are fit for purpose. I have my head of product was a lawyer before and she worked at Carter replacing lawyers with software. I have my general counsel. She worked at Trinet taking employment compliance integrated through software. We have head of marketing uh, from, from Buffer who created its iconic remote work brand. I have Ellen, our president. She spent 10 years at Facebook scaling their operation team to 10,000 people. I have Mark, our chief workplace officer, or chief people officer, he was at the Envision's chief people officer, which is like was a remote company before remote was a thing. So everybody is like really handpicked for the specific role they do. Secondly, is the best culture, as we discussed earlier, uh, our numbers of of culture uh, are off chart in terms of our employee brand, in terms of our diversity data or engagement data, and why we're doing that because we. We want to be credible selling into, into HR innovators and they care about these things. This is like salesforce.com strategy. They had to be the best in B2B sales in order to be credible to sell you the best CRM software. This is the same as HubSpot. You had to be the best at inbound marketing in order to sell you the best inbound marketing platform. Well, Oyster is the best at being human-centric, mission-driven, diverse, and we're selling you a global employment platform. So best team and best culture. Secondly is best software because... In my previous business, my previous company, we've built a, a global uh, communication platform that did exactly the same for the telecom market, where we put an API in front of a globally fragmented and highly regulated market. And we grew that business from, from 0 to 100 million in the first five years to the public um, in 2016 and got acquired last year by Ericsson for $6.5 billion. So we know how to build software that can deliver hyperscale. And, and last but not least is the best operation because what we, I mean, what we do is complex, right? We're taking 180 countries uh, and that requires a, an elegant orchestration between an employment infrastructure in 180 countries, scalable software, but also uh, knowledge and employment and compliance knowledge that has to integrate into the software. So best software, best operation, best team, best culture is what you've done and you continue to do. So, what are three key strategies that have proven successful for Oyster? One, they saw an opening in the market and executed very fast toward the opportunity. The world went into lockdown, we realized we had to move really, really fast. So we started building uh, the minimum viable experience that makes global hiring as easy as global hiring. And we built a, a fully distributed team. At the end of uh, 2020, we were 20 people. Uh, last year, we ended up uh, at 350 people, so we moved fast in, in building the organization. Two, they practice what they preach, reinforcing the narrative they sell by focusing on their team and company culture. But it's really about telling a story that connects deeply with the heart and mind of our buyer persona. First, we have to be credible to, to talk to HR innovators, to talk to future of work innovators. We need ourselves to be the gold standard of distributed work. Three, they focused on hiring an all-star team. We built a Series F team for a Series B company. 
Everybody on my exec team has been hiring through a thoughtful executive search process that took me more than six months to, to a year. One last takeaway from Tony. Our goal here is to prove to them that being distributed is not only better for business, but it's also better for people and better for the planet. And that's how you win. I'm Pep Lea. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening.